So I just saw the movie Inside Out, Birdo. Have you seen this movie? I have. I thought we would talk about it on the podcast today. What do you say? I loved it. I can't wait. This is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Kirk Honda. I am chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program, and I'm also a professor, and I'm also a licensed therapist. I've just added a new title to my introduction. What Whoa. Do you, what do you think? That's a lot of introduction. Yeah, I probably won't say <laughs> all of it in the future, but I just recently became chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Congratulations. Program. Thank you. So I wonder if you can like make a big-ass acronym out of all your... Yeah. Accreditations. <laughs> well, tell me this. Should I say I'm chair of the Couple and Family Therapy Program, which honestly is higher up than just a mere professor? Or should I say professor since everyone knows what a professor is? It's true that a lot of people may not know the full context. So, so you either have to introduce it with the full context to so take up like half an hour explaining the whole thing. Or maybe professor is the most general thing you can go for. Okay. Who are you? My name is Humberto Castaneda, and I am a chair of a committee of uh, guides in the Greek Isles. Uh-huh. You should have said you're a chair of chairs or something. That, that would, would be silly. That would have been funnier. <laughs> so Inside Out was produced by Pixar, if you didn't know. It was directed by Pete Doctor, another doctor, mm-hmm. who also was involved in Toy Story 1 and 2, Monsters, Inc., Wall-E, and Up. Up, which is about a, a chair going up with balloons. Oh, no, wait, that was the real-life chair guy. Yeah. He, uh, Pete Doctor, has been nominated for six Oscars and has won one Oscar for Up. Incidentally, he was raised in Minnesota, and he probably moved to the Bay Area, just like the family in the movie. He uh, not only moved, but then moved back again to Minnesota, uh, like two years later. Oh, yeah? So he had the double whammy. Ah. So the movie stars Amy Poehler. She plays the emotion Joy. Amy Poehler's from Parks and Rec. I, I recently listened to her book on tape, Yes, Please. It's pretty good. I haven't heard it. It's, it's, she's funny, right? Yeah, I recommend it. She's also, you know, quite... A likable person. Phyllis Smith plays Sadness. She's from The Office. She 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 plays Phyllis. Phyllis, yeah. Uh, in The Office. I, th- I think her voicing of Sadness was just perfect. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. That was a, not a very good representation of it, but... It was a, a recording. It was I just a played worth, a, a recording. Worth, worthy record. attempt. Richard Kind plays Bing Bong, Riley's long-forgotten imaginary friend. You might remember Richard Kind from Mad About You. Bill Hader plays Fear. You know him from SNL, probably. Louis Black plays Anger. You might recognize him from Stand Up. I think he's been on David Letterman a lot. And he's done bits on The Daily Show and on... feel like you're not close enough to the mic. No? Try to eat that mic. I, I am as close as I normally am, but maybe I'm not talking as loud as I normally talk. Mindy Kaling pl- plays Disgust. You might remember her from The Office. Mm-hmm. She's pretty funny. Diane Lane is Riley's mom. You might remember her from The Outsiders and Rumblefish. Kyle McLaughlin plays Riley's dad. Do you remember him from Twin Peaks? Twin- well, I never saw Twin Peaks, but oh. I remember him from Dune. Yeah, Dune too, right. Paula Poundstone, she- she's in the movie. She is you know, a stand-up comedian from going way back from the 80s. Wait, who think. does she play? She plays Forgetter Paula. I don't know. Okay. And she is also on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. Frank Oz is a voice. You might remember him from The Muppet Show mm-hmm. and Star Wars because he, you know, did Europe. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Flea was also... I saw his name in the credits, but... He plays Mind Worker Cop Jake. Oh, that's right. He was one of the cops. <laughs> uh, you remember him from the Red Hot Chili Peppers and also Back to the Future 3, I think, was he? 
Uh, yep. And then he's been in other in other movies. Yeah. Um, trying to remember what he was in. But. Yeah. John Ratzenberger. He's uh, in every single Pixar movie. He's. Did you know that? No, I didn't. From Cheers, you know. Yeah, yeah I know who he is. Cliff, I just Cliff didn't Clay. know he was in every one. Of them. Yep, he's in every single one of them. Wow. It's just sort of a running joke. Like you always got to work. Like, him I knew somewhere. he was in Toy Story and in um, Wall-E, but yeah, I didn't. A, I didn't he's in all of them. Rashida Jones is also a voice, and you might remember her from from Parks and Rec. And she's also the daughter of Quincy Jones, whom is a Seattleite. What? She's the daughter of Quincy Jones? Yeah. I never knew that. She looks like Quincy Jones. Nah. Yeah. I guess. I just knew she was the love, the the alternate love interest in the off the U.S. office for a bit. Yeah, and she was also in Parks and Rec. I've never watched Parks and Rec. Oh, how dare you! The movie is ninety four minutes, which I appreciate, since you know most movies today are an extra thirty minutes of which should be cut. <laughs> so ninety four minutes, I really appreciated that. The film grossed $90 million in its first weekend, which is the highest opening for an original title, not a sequel, which beat the previous record set by Avatar. Yeah. That's crazy. That's a massively popular movie for which there wasn't any basis. I mean, it's sort of a sequel in that it's the next Pixar movie. No, but you can't count it like that. No, no. but, But any Pixar movie, I'll see. Yeah, no totally. matter how you know, totally. But it is an original first movie. Yeah, although I never saw Cars two because I never. De- yeah, that's true. Never that's the did one see I. Cars 2. And they had a they had a little. Um, Didn't they have an airplanes one too? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if that was a major title. That might have been straight to video. Straight but, to DVD. But you know, they often have those little movies before the movie. Yeah, the shorts. Yeah. And they had a short before this mm-hmm. one, The Islands. That's right. That was really la- I lava you or something. Yeah, I lava you. That was really cute. I liked it. People were in the audience were making noises just like my cat did at the screen at the lava you <laughs> thing. Like when things like you know, there's a frustration moment in the storyline, and people are like, "Oh no!" Yeah. <laughs> um, this is the first Pixar film to lack a concrete main antagonist or a villain. There's no, there's no villain. The first one, yeah, huh? You know, Up had a villain. Toy yeah. stories. They Even Wally film. does too, sort of. Yeah. Wow, that's true. Yeah, no villain. I hadn't thought of that. It's also nice to see another movie about a girl that doesn't focus on her being a girl, if you know what I mean. Yep. Like Although you know, that was one of the criticisms. What? So it's funny because you can slice everything both ways, right? So I agree with you, uh, but I did also read uh, criticism saying that, uh, oh, great, so... It's a girl. It's a movie about a girl, but of course, the girl has to have an androgynous name, has to be into a boy sport, and we barely get to see her do any girly things. What the <laughs> hell? So yeah, I, well, it's for me. It's analogous to the fact that I almost never see an Asian American in a movie without it focusing on the fact that he or she is an Asian American. That's right. They're almost always immigrants. And if they're not an immigrant, then they're like the smart counterpart or something. Or they're the Kung Fu star in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> but like Harold and Kumar, for instance, you have yeah. two, two Asians. And them being Asian is, is barely alluded to. You know, they're, they're just two bros. They're just two, that's true. They're just yeah. two American bros. You that's know? true. And, and so, but that's so rare. And I, I have to say, like, I'm not the, one of those, like, politically correct, you know, Nazis, but I'm getting really tired of the way Asian Americans are treated in TV and movies these days. You know, I was watching um, 
the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. And uh, oh yeah, I've seen I've seen quite a I think first season of that. Yeah, and an Asian comes on, and I'm like, oh great, an Asian character. And of course, you can tell he's born in the United States, but he's faking a Korean accent. Oh, and I'm just like, why not just make him? Asian American. Why do you have to make him foreign? Right. It happens all the time. The uh, same with um well, it happens all the time, drives me nuts anyway. Uh so j- let's talk about our overall opinion before we get into sure. ana- analyzing the psychology of Inside Out. My overall opinion, I loved it. I gave it an 8 out of 10. I I might have considered bumping it up to a 9. Maybe if I watch it again, I might bump it up to a 9. I loved it, but I reserved 9 and 10s for earth-shattering kind of movies. Have you given a Pixar movie a 9? Probably. I'd have to look. Okay. But like Up has more importance for some reason to me. Or WALL-E almost has just kind of a an edge to it of of difference or uniqueness or something that that inside out I just I feel like inside out is a wonderful movie and I'll probably watch it 10 more times and enjoy it but it just doesn't to me have the well I don't know maybe by the end of this review I, I can bump it up to a 9 cuz I'm ar- I'm already kind of talking myself in, into bumping it up to a 9 but I reserve 9 and 10s for just like right. like you know 50 movies that literally out of 10,000 movies I've seen I think I've reviewed on IMDb like 3 or, or 5,000 movies or something some thousands like, of movies yeah and, like Adam Sandler's Grown Ups or something like that right Zohan what what did you think of it oh, I loved it I I would definitely say it's in my probably my top 3 Pixar uh, it's a little hard to pick near that top, but uh, well, you got Wally up to all the Toy Story. Well, Toy Story three for me, which is amazing that a third could be great, right? Toy Story three for me was such an amazing one. Uh, I, you know, honestly, except for the bad ones, I love all the all the non bad ones. I love Monsters I, Inc. and Monsters Inc. I'd Monsters University one, wasn't so good. That's true. I, I, here's what I liked about this one that I feel makes it go near that top three for me, is they tackled something as... Okay, so look, when they did Toy Story, on the one hand, that seems like a simple proposition, like, you know, toys talking. That seems... But the way they did it was so subtly great because they picked just the right kind of toys and they had just the right kind of personalities and they pulled those heartstrings just so well. And here they had, I think, an even tougher challenge, which is... um, you know, this kind of concept of like, you know, people in people's heads hasn't actually been done that much. There's a, remember uh, the- Herman's the, Head. Herman's Head, right? One of my favorite shows. Right. But, but not only that, it's not that, not only that it hasn't done that, been done that much, but it's actually like, you could either get way too metaphoric very fast, or you could just like drown yourself in like technicalities, or it could have almost nothing to do with the fact that they're actually, you know, parts of the person- person's personality and things like that. I, they, they did such an amazing job with their metaphors right. and their, their structures and their characters. That, right, right. That, I mean, along know. those lines, and I'm, I'm totally with you, but I hadn't heard that specific idea is that it could have been a conceit to get you to sit down and watch the movie. That's but, right. And, but the end could have just been a typical ending to, to any right. story, irregard, irregardless, that's, that's the wrong, regardless of the fact that it exists in a world of emotions. And it, irregardless. Like Regardless, <laughs> and and more more so, and and we can elaborate more on this later. But they they actually made some important 
points. Yeah, we'll get to those that. later. Yeah, yeah, we'll you get to those. So let's get into the notes. So I'm sitting in the movie theater, and every so often I pull out my iPhone and take notes. You know, and I made sure that I had my iPhone on its lowest bright, okay. on the lowest brightness. So. <laughs> I was gonna say. And the other thing was is I would put it inside my jacket. Oh, okay. And so I was pretty sure I was the only one who could see it because I really didn't want to be one of those annoying people. But anyway, so so this is just my notes as I was going along. So the movie is all about Riley. Mm-hmm. So that's that androgynous name you're referring to. It basically follows her from birth until she is 11 years old. The Most of the movie takes place inside Riley's brain, and different functions of the mind are personified by different characters, not just emotion, but also like memory and, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, sleep, dreams, all that kind of stuff. So we see in the beginning of Riley's life that joy is the first emotion to emerge as she's an infant. Her parents are loving her and taking care of her, and Joy is alone and running the show. Then we see uh, memory being formed. We see from day one, Riley is internalizing or recording different memories as mm-hmm. she experiences life, which are symbolized as a, as a glass orb that is colored by emotion. So when she has an experience, a, an orb is created that's basically kind of like a videotape of what happened. And the color of the orb is indicative of the emotion associated with it. So at first, it's all joyous emotions. There's all these yellow, which are the joy color uh, emotions uh, in the in the mind. Um, da, da, da. So just along those lines, there are exact recordings of events. It's just something we'll get into later in terms of a critique on how the mind uh, operates in real life. But anyway, sadness is the second emotion to to emerge. Which which happens when she's an infant as well, you know her. I forget, do you remember how she becomes sad? Like her her parents don't give her something, or uh, yeah, she's still quite young. But all of a sudden, uh, the uh, yeah, because Joy is looking up at the monitor because they have this like the the emotions have this view into what uh, Riley is seeing, and all of a sudden, I, I think it is. Uh, it's like isn't she at like dinner or something? I can't quite remember the detail then. Uh, but oh yeah, but all of a sudden the hand, the blue hand comes in, yeah, and she's like, "What's going?" On? You know, Joy's like, "What's going on?" And she looks down, and there's sadness trying to like <laughs> do something. Yeah, it's like, "Who are you?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the the whole sadness character was just so great. She was just like, "I don't know." She just had no self esteem. Right. She always second guessed herself. Which, by the way, this is another of the criticisms that I've heard uh, lobbied against the the film. Which, by the way, are in the minority. But um, it's that uh, issues of body dysmorphia and stereotypes of uh, because you know sadness is presented as a character who is um, well, she's shorter, lumpier. You know, uh, I'd say a bit heavier than Joy. Uh, she wears glasses. She, you know, she's not, she doesn't look pretty like Joy does, right? Yeah. And she's the sad one. So I think that there have been, and potentially with some valid reasoning, some folks going, uh, well, there we go. They're, we're just like stereotyping that all, uh, you know, short, overweight people with glasses need to be sad, blah, blah. which I don't think is the case. I think it's actually kind of, uh, it's not, it's not fair because like you see sadness in everyone's head and they all, they don't all look like that. But, you know, that was one of the criticisms. 
Right. And, you know, we, and I will, I'll get into more of my criticisms later, but along those lines, it's like you have to make an entertaining movie. Yeah. <laughs> and in order to do that, you have to make interesting, differentiated characters. I mean, the only way to avoid criticism along those lines would be to have every emotion the same character shape and, yeah. and, and the same voice you know what i mean or go extreme the other way so sadness looks like a supermodel and she's just but but, but then people but, are like she's just annoying but someone you know? would have would yeah. have some like oh supermodels are sad like you yeah, know what i mean like there, exactly there would be there'd always be there's yeah. no way to win but i think it is you know worthwhile to critique some of these cultural messages and think about how it implies how we might rethink certain things in our culture but anyway um okay so then anger, disgust, and fear emerge, giving us five total emotions. We have joy, sadness, anger, disgust, and fear. These five emotions live and operate in, quote-unquote, headquarters to direct or influence Riley's behavior from a control panel. <laughs> I, never, I didn't actually catch that until just now. Headquarters? <laughs> Did they call it headquarters yeah. in the movie? <laughs> uh-huh. They see they see what Riley sees and they interpret the world through their own emotional lens. Yeah. So all five emotions are seeing what Riley sees, but all five of the emotions are seeing a different story, seeing yeah. a different narrative. And then they make recommendations based on their perspective and worldview to Riley by controlling the the control board. And it's it's interesting because as the um as Joy is introducing the other emotions, uh if I remember right, she she does tend to explain the role of them, except she doesn't like the the explanation for sadness is a little less uh, acknowledge like she doesn't really acknowledge sadness's role as much. Right. But she says like disgust is great because or she doesn't say great, but it, disgust keeps uh, Riley from eating poison, you know. And uh, I forget what uh, anger is, but then for the um, What's the other guy? Well, fear. Anger, fear anger keeps her from like getting electrocuted and things right. like this. Well, anger was for fairness. And fa- yeah, when, when when someone took her toy away, right. and it was unfair, she would right. get angry, and then someone would give right. her toy back. Yeah. Well, right. And so this has to do to some extent with psychodynamic theory, in that when we're children, when we're infants, we need our parents and we need to connect with them, right? And anything that uh, is a barrier or a potential threat to that connection with our parents becomes difficult for us. And joy is something that connects us with, with our parents. Right. Whereas anger and sadness s- separates us from, from them and will make us reject them or make them reject us. Mm-hmm. And so according to psychodynamic theory, you know, there are those that will write about how we will... It, uh, go through phases of of learning how to deal with sadness and how to deal with the reality of sadness and how mm-hmm. to deal with the reality that life is sad, how to deal with the reality that our attachment figures will sometimes hurt our feelings, even on purpose sometimes, mm-hmm. and that when you're young, you can't deal with that that gray zone and therefore suppress things in the way that joy was trying to suppress sadness. Right. So it's just a little point there. So each emotion is based on a on a shape. I don't know if you knew this, but they they base each emotion on a shape. Joy is a star. Sadness is a teardrop shape. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know. I, I obviously saw the color connection, but I didn't know the the shape connection. Yeah. Anger is a fire brick from from an from an oven. Mm-hmm. 
Disgust is broccoli. <laughs> and fear is a raw nerve. Oh, interesting. Isn't that funny? Okay, so, so well, so that's interesting. The, uh, the tear, that, that explains the shape a lot more. Yeah. It's not just that she's dumpy. She's well, in tear shape. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I'm sure yeah. the fact that the teardrop also looks frumpy yeah. wasn't lost on the designers. So, Berto, do you think there are more emotions that should have been included? I mean, you know. Are we? Can every emotion be reduced to five emotions? Uh, let's see. So, uh, fear. Okay. Well, I mean, there's things like uh, for for the Sorry. purposes of a movie. Well, for the pur- purposes of a movie, absolutely not. I think I think it's it's a credit to them that they can juggle five, right? Because it's it's a lot of characters, it's a lot of interactions, and and then it's not the only characters in the movie, right? I heard that at first they had like over twenty emotions. Yeah, I could see them going that direction, <laughs> and, <laughs> and and but here's the thing: of course, once you start trying to like pair the the movie representation to what we might even just our own interpretation of what we think goes on in our head, then it gets then it's not a one to one because it's like where's surprise? Is surprise joy or sadness or fear or is it a combination or is it its own thing? On that note, surprise originally was a sixth emotion that they had for the story because they, they did. Oh, yeah, interesting. They pulled from a particular theorist and I'll get into this, okay. but there have been many researchers and authors and, and, mm-hmm. and theorists that have categorized all of all human emotion into oh, interesting. A, a certain number of categories. And there you, know, you have, you have people that have categorized all emotion to two categories all the way up to 27, <laughs> to 27. categories. <laughs> and the theorist that they pulled from hat was six and, and surprise was one of them. And over time they just s- subsume surprise into fear, which, well, which you could that, see that, that not only can I see that, but actually thinking about it from a, from a script writing or just a, a movie, how the movie plays out, um, you need scenes where not only the audience but the characters are surprised about stuff so they can react to those events. Yeah. If one of your characters is the one that's supposed to take over the surprise, it actually takes away your ability to make those scenes work. Like right. think about when Riley does – like she's about to leave. Right. Well, if only one of the little personality ones is the one reacting to the surprise that she's about – that doesn't quite work. Right. <laughs> Totally. Now, I don't know if they consider that or, or if it was just a matter of too many cooks in the kitchen. Too many cooks. Too many cooks. <laughs> <Yeah>. So <laughs> other – well, what other emotions? So you, you said okay, so surprise, I was saying jealousy, jealousy, for example. Right. So um, some people will include jealousy as a specific emotion. I mean, right. What differentiates that from anger for you? Well, I think it's the – again, even anger, I'd say, is it rage or is it uh, uh, anger? Is it uh, – what do you call it? Like um, seething anger. Uh, yeah, seething – but also uh, – Violent. Fru- frustration. Like there's so many ranges of quote unquote anger, right? Like Degrees. I could be frustrated. I could be annoyed. I could be angry. I could be uh, rageful, right? Yeah, yeah. A- and I think jealousy isn't even necessarily one of those. I feel like je- jealousy is um, a type of, uh, if anything, it's a combination of fear because it's like you're fearing that you're losing or out on something or whatever, and maybe a type of anger, but not necessarily full on rage, you know? Hmm. So it's really hard, right? And then is that, is jealousy the same as envy, for example? Mm-hmm. So you could, you could start, uh, the other one, happiness, like joy. Is it just joy or is there like uh, ec- uh, ecstasy? 
and joy or contentment. satisfaction, contentment. Yeah, exactly. So that's where I think that if you were actually trying to say that, no, 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 in reality, there's only these five elements and they all mix. I'd have to see the research, right? It yeah. seems like that'd be a hard Like when you're having claim. sex, for instance. Yeah. What emotion, and it's good, what emotion are you feeling? Is it? Sadness. <laughs> <laughs> So other 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 models have other have other sets. So here, let me just read some. Okay. We have acceptance, okay. anger, anticipation. So that's kind of interesting because mm-hmm. you could anticipate something without being afraid of it, or you could be afraid of it. Disgust, joy, fear, sadness, and surprise. Another anger, aversion. So like you, you you're trying to avoid something. It's kind of like disgust, but not yeah. quite as disgusting. Courage, <laughs> courage. That's interesting. Yeah. I don't know about that one. Courage, dejection. You know, feeling dejected. Desire, wanting something. Despair. So it's like sadness. Fear, hate, hope, love, sadness. Another model: desire, happiness, interest, surprise, wonder, and sorrow. They all just have different names for sadness. It always kind of seems like yeah. they're similar to me. Anger. Cont- another model: anger, contempt, disgust, mm-hmm. distress. Fear, guilt, interest, joy, shame. Shame, we haven't mentioned. Surprise. Uh, Another anger, disgust, elation, fear, Mm -hmm. subjection, tenderness or tender emotion, and wonder. Mm. That's interesting. It's like, yeah, what, what, what of, of those five emotions in Riley's brain, when you look at the Grand Canyon, what is that emotion? Is that joy? I mean, if you wanted to combine the ones that they gave us, it'd be a little bit of fear, joy, uh, maybe those two. But that doesn't you know, really fit it, you know what but I mean? But it doesn't do it justice. It's like you're you're connecting to the universe and to right. nature. That's what, do you remember in uh, Herman's head, uh, one of the ones was genius. <laughs> oh. And then... Um, and what, then were the, what were the emotions that uh, you said? I, I, ha- I have it here. And by the way, one of them, one of them was actually, uh, but it was only one one episode. They had uh, Sam Kennison, uh-huh. and he played jealousy. Uh, okay. okay, so he oh, had no, Bobcat Goldthwait. Oh, sorry, sorry, you're right. Yeah, it was. I knew it was one of those guys. <laughs> okay, so they had the angel, angel, animal, wimp, and genius, jealousy, and God. Apparently, but God was. Uh, uh, just the guest star as jealousy was, yeah. Yeah, so they had the smart person, the the scared person, the animal, which would be like the id, I guess, like sex yeah. and lust, like, hunger, anger, frat boy. And, and the angel. So yeah. it's like the super ego. That's interesting. So you have like the super ego and the id. You have the fear and, and you, have you have like the intelligence. Your intelligence, yeah. your reasoning ability. That's interesting. Uh, but... But you know the uh, when I was in high school, we I was in a band called Primary or sorry Primal. Wait, was Primer Primary Emotion? No, it was called Primary Emotions. That was the name of your band. I it, I didn't name it, but yes, Primary Emotions. Oh. And it, and it was just four of them though. It was love, hate, anger, and fear. I think <laughs> I think I remember you telling me that. Yeah. Other models just reduce it to two: pain and pleasure. So joy is pleasure. Anger is pain, fear is pain, disgust is pain, sadness is pain. There's a lot of pain. Uh, another uh, three, fear, love, and rage. I guess that all depends. Here's my thinking here. It's good to have different models for different purposes. Mm. Because 
if, for example, if what you're trying to analyze is the biochemical response to different types of input and in, into the brain, and in general, you realize that often when you get pinched or you get emotionally hurt, it ends up triggering the same kind of chemicals, whatever, why not group it into something that you call pain? And I'm not saying that that is the case, but as an example. Right. But if, on the other hand, you're trying to uh, counsel a child on different ways to deal with difficult things, you might introduce multiple concepts. Uh, in fact, I was reading somewhere that this might be a good movie for in, in some cases to use with a child trying to explain like, what are you feeling? Are you feeling more like joy? Or are you feeling more like, you yeah. know? <laughs> and I've heard anecdotally that that's the case, that children are referencing this movie as a way to oh. communicate about feelings in a way that they hadn't previous to watching the movie. And yeah, that was a point I was going to make later is that this should absolutely be shown, I think, in many sessions with children. And really most parents, I think, should should make kids watch this repeatedly because, it again, its message is very healthy and its overall instruction on awareness. And honestly, as a therapist, I wish we had more things like this where we have entertaining things that can make us healthier right it's crazy it's like what a novel thought that (laughs) that that a piece of entertainment could actually enhance our lives rather than just entertain us uh so then we get to core memories we see how core memories are are created when riley experiences a particularly meaningful event a core memory is created there's only about five or six of these core memories i think she only has five of them in the beginning these core memories then go on to – so every, every experience creates a memory, and there are all these orbs, but there are particular orbs that are core memories. And they create not only – it seems like not only a, a special orb, which uh, I got the sense were joy-based. All of them were joy-based yeah. in, the, in the beginning. And they also have an accompanying island, yeah. which is kind of like the metaphors of all that experience, of, right. all, the, of all that memory right. or type of memory. They called them personality islands. And in the beginning, she had five core memories and five corresponding personality islands. They were family, friendship, honesty, which I thought was interesting, goofball island in which she was she would be like a goofball with her with her family and hockey island because you know this because she played hockey and when those core memories were activated the island would also be activated and so uh now the criticism here the critique on this model is that it it completely and, and the model overall of, of Riley's mind is that it makes the blank slate argument that memories create personality, that your experiences are the only thing that your personality is based upon, right? Let me think that for a second. Uh, well, I mean, was there any notion in this movie that alluded to biology or disposition? Being, right. Being okay. So, so what you're saying is that with the absence of the islands – Riley seems to be this neutral shell. Well, not only that, but the creation of the islands was completely based on experience. Uh, oh, yes, that's fair. That that's how they presented it. Yes, yeah. Like a, a more accurate metaphor would have been that the um, the infant would already have structures of some kind in place that 
influence the interpretation of experience? Is there, um, has there been studies about that, for example? Like, like if you take the same child, which we, that's this is why it's so hard, right? But like the, the theory of like, if I get two children born at the same time and I raise them both in the same family using the same parenting techniques, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, do, do they develop similar personalities, which would, seems like the answer is already no because of like twins and things like this. But right. um, but I don't know like if there's been, if, if you know of a lot of research into that. Yep, there's been a ton of research into it. The, the general line is they say that personality is 50% biology and 50% experience. Interesting. Uh, the same with a lot of things in psychology. Now, how do they put a number on that? It's It's very funny and I could go on and on about it, but... But essentially, we come into the world with certain structures already in place. And anyone who's had a child, especially more than one child, can attest to this. When And twins, too. Doesn't this, by the way, say that then you have a 50% uh, set of non-culturally based, non-current culturally based mm-hmm. things? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that might go against the blue and pink debates, well, for example. Right. Well, the fact that you get an urge to go to the bathroom and can't control that and culture could never erase that from you <laughs> means that we are born with certain structures of our biology yeah. that will affect our motivation and how we see right. the world and all that. I was stuff. thinking more about like the, the debates about males versus females. Well, there are certain things about us that are absolutely, undeniably cultural. Yeah. <laughs> uh, our preference for color, probably one of them. And, um, you know, our association with pink and girls is definitely a cultural element, you know. Uh, the fact that... Well, is it, though? Because if it's 50-50, then... Not everything's 50-50. That's, that's the point. When you, yeah. when you... But you don't know which ones are and which ones aren't. Well, you can make arguments, pretty strong arguments for things. For instance, our, our pr- preference for heterosexuality, seemingly, in our culture... Mm-hmm. Well, you can point towards other cultures in history, the Greeks for one, ancient Greeks, where it was completely the norm to have homosexual relationships, to have two men fall in love. They considered women to be for home and children and that kind of thing, but they considered men to be their true soulmates, right? And because of that culture, we see a completely different manifestation of sexuality. So... We can point towards things. Now, in general, we see that a lot of hist- a lot of cultures throughout history tend to have a greater majority of heterosexual people. But, you know, the brain is squishy, and we can latch on to all sorts of things. The problem is we can't experiment on humans to find out what is bi- biology and what is not. That's the problem. Yeah, it just seems to me like if it's 50, and I'm not saying that that's right, but if it were 50-50, you could influence it one way or the other pretty much. You're, 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 you're interpreting the 50-50 thing uh, to every single personality element? No, of course not. But I'm, I'm, saying, we what don't I'm exact, saying we don't have the exact map either. You know? No, we have, we don't, we have yeah. almost, we have, we have 0.1% the knowledge of the mind that we will 100 years from now. So it just makes it harder to claim either way that this was caused by this or that because it's like some of it might have been biological but still it's influenced always by been society. hard it's always been hard yeah. to claim what's biology and what's culture yeah. yeah that is almost impossible to determine and it's sort of a a silly uh 
dichotomy anyway because our personality is a manifestation of biology. So we, we are going to see that change in the next 10 years, by the way. Well, we'll see. I don't, I don't think so. I well, by, by computer analysis, we'll be able to detect patterns that are completely indetectable by rational thinking about it or anything else. Uh, computer models are great, but who not, makes... Not models, no. Computer analysis of brain data. Right. And you need to be able to uh, get the, da- the data, yeah. which so, we cannot do in the next 10 years. You would have to have such a resolution on the brain that would be very difficult. Now, we'll, we'll absolutely eventually get there. I just don't yeah. think it'll be in 10 years. We would have to have, I mean, right now, our resolution, there's some interesting things are happening, but in my mind, it's, it's still pretty crude. Anyway, what are your personality islands, Berto? Uh So when I was a kid, can, can I say when I was like 11? Yeah. Uh, so there was the Star Wars island. <laughs> Of course. What would it look like? Uh, it's it's great because it actually looks like there's the Hoth uh, set piece. It's almost like um, when you open the map to Disneyland and you have all the little uh, island, you know, the little mini oh, but yeah. exaggerated features of each one of the sections. Tomorrowland. Yeah. yeah. So it looks kind of like that. And you have the little Hoth thing. You have the Death Star sitting right there. <laughs> you have the little desert area. And you have, so it's a, like, like a mini theme park for yeah. Star Wars. Cool. I like it. And then you had the Lego area, Le- Lego Island. Lego Island. Lego Island looked a lot like the Lego movie. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you would have had a Taekwondo Island. What's that? Oh, Taekwondo. Taekwondo, sorry. Uh, in, in Spanish, it's taekwondo. <laughs> uh, so you would have had that island. And basically, it probably looks like uh, the yin-yang symbol and a couple dudes kicking really freaking high, <laughs> tearing their their uh, <laughs> muscles down there. The yin-yang symbol. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just a bunch of Asian symbology. <laughs> well, we had it on our uniforms. We had a yin yang patch on it and stuff. Was the song playing? <laughs> no. Uh, and basically, okay, so there's those three. Um, I probably would have had a dark, scary island uh, that was. one of your core memories would not have been joyous. No, it would have been uh, the island we don't visit, which is like. The island of ab- abandonment, mm. maybe, or something like that, which is like, you know, my, my mom leaving, right? It's like scary island. Uh. And I would definitely had a friend island, uh. you know, that so would have friendship. Been my yeah, it, with specific people, they'd be like these specific people kind of waving. Yeah. You know? similar to Riley, she had a friendship. That's right, island. and I would have had a family island for sure. Oh, okay, um, I, 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 oh, a food island. I would have definitely had a food island. Ooh, yeah, I think even at that age. Food was important. Well, it's interesting that you had a negative island. Riley didn't. Riley didn't have any negative islands. Uh, according to the model in the movie, my guess is is they would have put your scary island in the subconscious. That's that's they had that model. I said, well, ooh, we're going into the subconscious. That's where all the troublemakers go. That's where the that's where the fears yeah, that go. Could be. That so could I be. wonder if if they that did it when when they do a movie inside Birdo, <laughs> then maybe they would do it that way. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I would have a podcast island at this point in my life. That's true. Right? You would. You have a podcast island. You'd have a music island. I, I didn't have a music. Oh, that's interesting. Where would I have had music playing? Because I, I loved music, but I don't think I had a music island yet then. But you would have a music island. When I was 11? No, now. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. What It'd would be, be in your music island? Spotify? I don't know. So they also depicted sleep, which was interesting. 
Sleep starts the long-term memory process. So Riley falls asleep, and lots of things shut down. But two things are in operation during sleep. One is the long-term memory. So uh, all those memories, orbs that are building up over the day, leave the headquarters and go to the long-term memory libraries. Right. And the other thing that goes on is dreaming, which yeah. I thought they depicted kind of interesting. They, they had Essentially, you had elements in your brain that were actors that would put on masks. That's right. And then through a camera, so it was like a, it was like a sitcom. It was shot like a sitcom, you know. Yep. And then through the camera, your the camera would interpret the masks <laughs> as like so if you wanted a horse, you would have some some someone dressed up in a horse. Right costume and then through the camera it would change it into a horse yeah and, and that part is really fascinating because they obviously did they must have done some of the research there because that's actually not unlike what what is happening because you don't actually store the pixel perfect version of the entire uh, thing and you're not playing a pixel perfect version of the events right but uh the same the same centers that operate during your waking hours that that make it so that you don't have to have all the details to make sense of things are are operating at the same time, trying to make things make sense, even though you don't have all the details, which is right. fascinating. Right. Some research seems to suggest that dreaming, one of the functions of dreaming is to put short-term memory into long-term. Hmm. And one of the ways that it seems to manifest as it does that is through the experience of jumbled dreams that are loosely associated with what happened during right. the day. And they depicted that interestingly in the movie. That's true. And, and, and um, the other, there was another thing happening even during, I don't know if it was only, but even during sleep, which was, I think that, that one lady cleaning out, uh, was it a lady or I can't remember. Someone was cleaning out old memories. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. Was it, I can't remember which character it was, but it was. It was a, one of the long-term memory police or Yeah, that's or right. Somebody. And they were like, nope. This is gone. They, oh, yeah. It's like two of them going side by yeah. side. And I think a gal is going like, oh, she's not going to need that. Take that away. You know? Right. Yeah. They were <laughs> faded memories. Yeah. And then those memories would go down the, the memory dump. Yeah. And then they would eventually fade away. Yeah. They would eventually evaporate. So. Which created an incredibly sad. Okay. So then Riley, the character, they move. Yep. They move from Minnesota to San Francisco and at first, she seems okay with it. And I just wanted to say another plug for something I often talk about in this podcast: that in our culture, we don't est we we totally underestimate the impact that moving has on children. There will so many times people will be like, "Oh yeah, I got a job," you know, "Yeah, you know, our children, we'll just take them, we'll put them in a new school. It's a wonderful neighborhood," and they don't think about the fact that. Children are born into a particular house, a particular neighborhood, a particular community, a particular weather pattern. And when you take that away from them, it's like taking away their entire world. Yeah. And it can be extremely distressful on children. And I find that our culture and, and parents as an extension of that treat it like it's no big deal. Right. It's like, well, they're a kid. What do they care? And it, of course they, they care. They won't remember this. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, this movie... The, the central crisis is this move that they that they do and the uh, and the emotional effect and the 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 adjustment effect it has on on Riley. You you didn't move much as a kid, right? I didn't move at all. At all. <laughs> 
And I, I've lived in Seattle. I mean, yeah, I've I've lived in Seattle, the Seattle area, my entire life. And your parent, you lived in your parents' house until you moved out, and it was their same house, right? Yeah. I mean, I moved from Kent to Issaquah when I was two. Oh, okay, so they moved from Kent to Issaquah, and then and my parents still live in the same house today. Yeah. So I I moved so much because you know yeah. I moved from Columbia to New York, or sorry, to Massachusetts. Massachusetts to New York, New York to Columbia, Columbia to New York, and then New York back to Columbia. And, and I'm he, not talking about like a month here and there. It was like years at a time, you know. And from mom to dad, yeah, and to mom dad, to dad, dad to grandparents, grandparents oh. to dad, dad to grandparents, and then again, big move at 15 back to United States. To a totally different area to yeah. live with my mom. So it was so stressful. You shit your pants. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's right. Yeah. That first day, I got lost coming home from high school. I couldn't find. I'm pretty sure I've told the story. You did. It. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I just wanted to say, people don't underestimate the effect. Now, some children when they move, it doesn't affect them that much. But a lot of it, a lot of children, it does affect them. So before they move, most memories are yellow or golden. Uh, they're joyous memories. They were all yellow. Mo- most of them, not all of them, but most of them, most of them were. Like when she experienced broccoli, she had a she had a green memory for being disgusted with. They it. were all yellow. Huh? I'm just quoting the song. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. What does that song mean? It's about memories. That he was ahead of his time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're all yellow. What does that even mean? Came along. I don't know. Actually, I've never paid attention to the lyrics. Oh, fuck. Now I have to look up. <laughs> Yellow lyrics. Came along for you. Look at the stars. Look how they shine for you and everything you do. Oh, they're yellow. The, sh- the stars are yellow. And it was all yellow, but it's not just the stars. I came along. I wrote a song for you and all the things you do, and it was called Yellow. <laughs> then, I t- <laughs> then I took my turn. Oh, what a thing to have done. Oh, what a thing. It, done. And it was all yellow? And it was all yellow. That's kind of dirty. So then I took my turn. Oh, what a thing to have done. And it was it was all yellow. <laughs> <laughs> your skin. Oh, yeah, your skin and bones turned into something beautiful. You know, you know, I love you so. You know, I love you so. I swam across. I jumped across for you. Oh, what a thing to do. And it was all yellow. Because you were all yellow. Because you were all yellow. I drew a line. I drew a line for you. Oh, what a thing to do, and it was all yellow. Your skin, oh yeah, your skin and bones turn into something beautiful, and you know, for you, I'd bleed myself dry. For you, I'd bleed myself dry. It's true. Look how they shine for you. All right, that's one of the songs that proves that you don't always have to have great lyrics when having a number one hit. (laughs) Or I don't know if it was number one, but it was certainly a a hit song. (laughs) Uh Okay, so so everything's joyous and for the most part, and then this thing happens in her life. The dad gets a job at a startup in San Francisco, common American modern story, right? And he gets very busy, and he doesn't have a lot of time for Riley anymore. And they move to a small house. They you know they lived in a nice suburban house. They and moved- she was imagining their new house. Yeah, and when she sees it, she's very disappointed. Yeah, it's it's a city house. <clears throat> One of those classic San Francisco yeah. houses, and they're in the city, and there's traffic, and of course they they have to, whenever they're in San Francisco, they always have to show that road, whatever that 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 uh, that steep back and forth road that's in San Francisco. Can't remember what they call it, but 
It, Lombard, it, Lombard Street. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, I, you know, if I was in San Francisco, I would hate that scene. It's the same about Seattle. It's like they always have to show the Space Needle. <laughs> You know, and you always have to show certain things, and it's just you always have always have to be raining or something, and it's just like, come on. <laughs> uh, so anyway, uh, so she loses her home, her friends, stability. Her dad becomes distant and unavailable. She's in an unfamiliar place. She loses her hockey team. The weather is different. The culture is different. You know, they depict, they go to a pizza place, and instead of it being real pizza, <laughs> it's broccoli pizza. And they're like, and the, the anger guy who's played by, uh, what's his face, Black? Louis uh, Black. Louis yeah. Black. And the head is like, San Francisco, you've ruined pizza. <laughs> you know? And, you know, it seemed like there were a lot of inside jokes. Because isn't Pixar in San Francisco? Or near San Francisco? They're in Silicon Valley. So they're near so, yeah. San Francisco, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I felt like it was, they were making fun of a lot of things that right. they probably experienced. Plus, again, remember the director moved from Minnesota. Yeah. Uh, you know, presumably, you know, he lives in the Bay Area now. Uh, da, 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 da. Okay. So now I thought this was really interesting how they depicted this, given, given that sadness, her personality in the brain was very meek and she was not assertive. And she didn't. She didn't feel like she belonged, and she right. allowed joy to kind of push her around, which I thought was a good metaphor again for not only the way Americans view emotions and the hierarchy, but also I think how children sometimes act, depending on if you know, especially if their life was going particularly well. But anyway, as as she moves and she's essentially grieving and she's grieving losses and there's difficulty and there's there's things that she's losing sadness starts to kind of accidentally touch memories. Yeah, quote-unquote accidentally, because she, she doesn't know why she's doing it, but she's doing it. Right, she feels compelled. Yep. And suddenly sadness is, is running the show. She's running the console. She's touching memories. And Joy is like, what are you doing? Normally, you, you don't do much up here in headquarters. And, right. and, and, and sadness is like, I don't know. I just feel like I really want to touch it. And sad, Joy is like, no. So, so that's when they start to fight. Joy yep. and sadness start to fight. Yeah, well, one thing that I was wondering, I didn't get a clear sense of whether or not the fight and the subsequent uh, split was some was the point that that ends up that kind of stuff ends up happening a lot for people during these transitions, uh, like going from kid to adult and maybe other types of transitions, or was that a mis- like an, a bug in the brain? Well, I interpreted it as a metaphor for what happens when we are overwhelmed with grief. It, fair enough, but I meant. Like to everyone that or anyone that goes through those kinds of griefs, or did she, did jo, uh, did Riley experience an aneurysm or some sort of mental bug? No, you know? I, yeah, I think it was a comment on a a universal experience. Yeah, so that in many cases these emotions fight, and maybe one of them gets rogue for a bit, and maybe <laughs> yeah, I mean that's one metaphor fighting, but but what ended up happening essentially, just to kind of cut to the chase is what ends up happening is riley her her emotional equilibrium is thrown off is maybe a general way of putting it, 
and uh, and she enters a depression phase where she doesn't feel anything. Because that's that's how I so how I took it was that that was an example of mental illness, not severe mental illness, but like something went wrong. The normal operation is not resuming as normal. I saw it as a normal element of perhaps the first time she experienced grief. But it's it's hard to imagine that it's normal for them to accidentally bump the memory up the wrong hole and then the one falls in and the other one's got to go nearly lose her life and like you see what I'm saying? I, oh, I see. Yeah. I see. The, yeah. I'm talking about the journey, not the yeah. not the fact that sadness starts trying to take over. So what would have that... happened in another girl if she were to move and they didn't have that really freak accident where yeah. joy and sadness get sucked up like, through the... Like maybe the fights, uh, I don't know, fight, the conflict still happens and the controls get jiggered weird on the yeah. console and some of the memories get colored weird and stuff. Right. But maybe they don't have the full adventure because she didn't right. have that mental issue, <laughs> right, quote unquote. Right. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. But I, I don't know, that's my... Because I, I was thinking... It seems like the system wasn't robust enough to be designed to handle that as part of the system. Right. That's another metaphor yeah. in that she had experienced so much happiness and, yeah. and been sheltered from any, any challenge in life, mm-hmm. seemingly, that Joy was used to running the show. And yeah. when Joy stopped having that control, because sadness started you know, having more, more activity, Joy started to freak out. Right. And couldn't handle it. And Joy was the one, ultimately, that caused the break in the headquarters. If she had just let Sadness do Sadness's thing, Riley would have moved faster to crying, faster to being sad, and faster to reaching out for help. Instead, Joy and Sadness get sucked up through the long memory tube and are separated from headquarters, which leaves fear anger and disgust to to be the sole emotions running Riley's life and they they try to 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 make do without joy and sadness but they totally screw it up you know anger gets angry and and which pushes people away and and then fear gets afraid and runs you know so it's just a, i think an interesting metaphor um <clears throat> along those lines i f- i thought it was kind of American, at least, to have joy trying to wrestle sadness down, right? <laughs> P- putting putting sadness in the circle of sadness. Right? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, you're gonna stay here. Yeah, this is the circle of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> I saw some some theories out there uh, that were that this was they were kind of uh, presenting the homunculus uh, version of uh, mind theory. Meaning, like, where they have, uh, you know, in general, it's the idea of, hey, where does our consciousness come from? Oh, and this is an older, obviously not good idea, but uh, it was that, oh, well, there might be some, uh, when you take it literally, there might be some uh, little tiny person inside of our brain that's actually running the show and has our personality. And then later when they were like, well, okay, well, we dissected the brain, there was no such little person, then it became more of a metaphor. Like, well, maybe there is some part of your brain that is you, and it's like a little person, but it's not literally a person. Um, the, the thing is, I don't think that's what they were going for, and you might have read even more explicitly, because it wasn't that they weren't uh, Riley's direct personality and consciousness. They were elements of that, and they didn't even have direct control over everything, and they didn't 
even have an unfiltered view of everything. And there was multiples of them and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I feel like it was more like they were simply doing a Disney personification of elements of the brain rather than presenting the homunculus model of, of the brain. But, well, um, definitely I think that the last part is true, that they were personifying functions of the brain. Yeah. But I think it was kind of that way because you could walk away from that movie if, if you take it as a, as a contemporary research-based, science-based, evidence-based depiction of how the brain works. You could walk away with the idea that your brain is made up of these different elements that are warring with each other, so to, so to speak. And really what the reality is is that your brain is a big, messy soup of, conscious, of, of collective consciousness. You know, your brain, there, there's not one part of your brain that is conscious. You're, you need your entire brain to be, you know, to be uh, conscious. Yeah, the, the main distinction I was making was that neither one of those characters was Riley. Right, and but but the, but you but you said one thing, and I and correct me if I'm wrong, but you said that that you know they they weren't Riley, they influenced Riley. They did influence Riley. Yeah, yeah, but they didn't depict what part of the mind was Riley, unless you just sort of said, they, well, Riley was Riley. You they know didn't I mean? show us, for example, they could have, but they didn't show us a little Riley in the mind that was the, the actual president of the headquarters. Right, which I thought would, would have been interesting to have, but for the story would have been dumb, right. I think. But I thought in terms of the metaphor would have been good because that would have represented the executive function maybe. But, it, but even the executive function shouldn't have been Riley. I mean, the whole mind was all uh, the, the limbic system. There was yeah. no executive function, unless you maybe say the control panel yeah. was the executive function. But... But it did almost kind of seem like when an emotion was at the controls, that that emotion had full control over what Riley did. Well, sort of, though, because remember, um, it was a filtered, like they say, okay, we're putting the foot down. Okay, and they move a lever, right? But the output is actually the dad saying, go to your room, which neither of them said. They didn't press the go to the room button. So it's, it's a filtered console. Well, they don't, I don't have direct control. Well, I don't know if they, and maybe they were smart to do this, but they didn't directly say she, that they didn't have direct control. They, they, they depicted, you know, anger would go, give me the controls. And then anger would start pressing buttons and then Riley would do something. So they never explicitly stated is that influencing Riley or, you know, is pressing the button saying, Riley, do something angry? Or is the control actually going, say this? But that's fair. But you didn't see them controlling her minute, second to second. They right. didn't have to move her mouth, her hands, her feet, nothing. Right. Nor did they react to everything. Nor did they. So right. it was not a one-to-one. -one. Right. And, and ultimately, it's okay either way. It's just that what's interesting to me is that you could have had the same movie with the homunculus model, and it would have been very different because it would have been a very silly thing. It would have been Riley, in Riley's head, talking to herself. Right. <laughs> yeah. And it was another interesting part of this, as I think about it, is that the emotions considered Riley to be another person. That's right. Even though they were right. Riley. They cared for her. Right. They, they yeah. cared, they all, all five of the emotions really cared about Riley. Mm -hmm. So... That is interesting. It's like, well, where was Riley in the metaphor? Right. You know, it's interesting. Uh, the, the other thing that I thought about while I was watching it, well, actually not, maybe later, whatever. Um, 
I don't know if you experience this. <laughs> I'm assuming this is universal, but uh, I usually, when I'm trying to make decisions, I will hear more than one voice, not literally like people talking in my head, but like, maybe I should buy that thing. And then I'll hear another thing going, oh, you don't have the money for that. It's like, no, you should totally buy that thing. You don't need a $3,000 leather, right? red, red leather and, jacket. No, I think I do need it, right? Okay, so those voices, um, they're not the same kind of character that they showed me. Because first of all, those characters didn't talk in Riley's ear, for example. Right. And those voices that I'm talking about still feel like me, but just different aspects of me, not not emotions, just different versions of Berto. Mm. So it, another interesting movie. Actually, I think it's more... So that's more Herman's Head. More Herman's Head, maybe, or even more... Uh, there's something else that I'm thinking about where you have... Uh, oh, maybe it's those movies where you have the devil and the angel of yeah. someone. It's maybe like that kind of thing, right. that kind of dynamic, yeah. yeah. And there's a lot of research on that kind of stuff. Of uh, the, Some people think that we don't have one self. We mm-hmm. have several selves that will yeah. pop up during different times. Like right now, we have the podcasting self. Right. And when, if we were doing something else, it would be a different sort of self. Anyway. That's right. Uh, all right. So then in the story, when, when Joy and Sadness get sucked up through the tube and they get shot out of the headquarters and they can't make their way back, we basically have an odd couple movie and a road trip movie wrapped up into one because they have to get back and they have to, and they experience a lot of things along the way and, and they don't like each other and they don't yep. understand each other, but they have to work together to, to get back. <laughs> it's really effective when she's dragging, yeah. when Joy is dragging sadness. <laughs> yeah. And, and then Joy turns back and sees all the memories on the lowest level are now, because t- she's just like, touching and, and, then, and then Phyllis, sadness, she's like, I can't help it. <laughs> <laughs> and then later when, they, when they're about to move that way again, she just goes and lays down and lifts her hand. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There was, I, incidentally, the movie was really funny. Yeah. There was a lot of... I, I mean, laughed a lot. Yeah. I actually want to see it again because I think I laughed over half the jokes. But, <laughs> but So then we start seeing other aspects of the mind that are outside of headquarters. We see the way that earworms work. Yeah. So essentially, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I don't remember precisely, but I think the long-term memory people were, would just like, just like to mess with Riley by like sending the same song to the conscious mind every every Yeah, night. that seemed to be the case. <laughs> it was like, it's like they're just like, yeah, let's just send this one TV jingle right. <laughs> up to the conscious mind. And that was like a really funny They'll like joke. this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then uh, they had the subconscious, as I talked about earlier. That's where fears res- uh, lived, and that's where they sent all the troublemakers, and that's where the evil clown lived. That's right. So, you know, Riley had experienced some some sort of clown at a birthday party or As something. most of us have. <laughs> and had internalized this memory, and it went to the subconscious. We also learn how ideas form and get latched, and get latched onto so different emotions, the five emotions, have a bunch of light bulbs, different style light bulbs on a wall that they can choose from. They're different ideas. Right. And then they choose an idea and they insert it into the control panel to give Riley an idea, right. you know, inspiration, shall we say. We, we learn that a particular destructive idea can fuse with the control panel and, be dis- and eliminate yeah. emotion. So she gets an idea to run away, essentially, because anger puts that in the console. That idea is so destructive and so 
all-encompassing that it takes over the control panel altogether and the emotions right. have no control anymore. So the idea is running the show. Uh, we also learn that as people grow older, their control panels get more complicated. The baby panel just has one button. Yeah. <laughs> that was hilarious. It's just like you just have you know the cry button or something. And then adults had, had really complicated control panels. Right. In fact, she gets an upgrade yeah. after this phase. Right. Uh, we also learn that the the that that memories about facts and opinions look very similar which i thought was a funny joke (laughs) like they had two boxes one box was facts the other box was opinions they they got knocked over and they got the facts and opinions that got mixed up and then and someone says oh no they got mixed up and then another person says oh who cares no one can tell the difference anyway (laughs) (laughs) and then that was in the by the way that was on the train of thought which i thought was clever too yeah and then the abstraction chamber. Oh, yeah. That, that was, was great. pretty cool. They start getting abstracted. Oh, yeah. no. We're getting deconstructed. <laughs> <laughs> We're two-dimensional. Yeah. Uh, and then they run into Bing Bong. Right. Riley's imaginary oh, friend. That was touching. Yeah. <laughs> they, they run into Bing Bong. So Bing Bong used to be Riley's imaginary friend, but Riley has grown old and has discarded Bing Bong. And he was like a clown, funny... He was a mix of multiple animals. <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, he was like... A, a dolphin, elephant, elephant yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, kitty, I think there was part kitty. So he... This is the first moment when I bawled my eyes out. I just want to say... That I I've you know I cry easily at movies at my old right. age of forty four, <laughs> but this movie wasn't just like teary. I was like sobbing, crying. Yeah, like it's hard, like like convulsive crying, <laughs> and and <sighs> this part was the beginning of that. Uh, that Bing Bong to save Joy yes. sacrifices himself, Ugh. lets himself. So he, he he Joy and and Bing Bong fall into the. To the memory, the the discarded, the discarded memory, the memory dump, and they're gonna they're gonna fade, fade away. away. They're gonna they're gonna become your ne- you know Riley will never remember Bing Bong, and we'll and never, we'll never have joy. Which never is have joy. Scary. So Bing Bong sacrifices himself to save Joy, and then Bing Bong disappears, and they don't bring Bing Bong back at the end of the movie, which would have been no. like every other movie, like like uh, the Edge of Tomorrow, and all these other movies where. An American audience just can't uh-huh. handle if something dies. They can't handle the truth. Yeah, they got to bring it back. But they, Bing Bong never, I, I thought, I thought, oh, Bing Bong will come back, you know. He'll show up in some, you know. But he never came back, and they, he just died. And it was like, I was so impressed with that, you know. It's just yeah. like, that's so un-American to just let a, and he was a lovable character. There was nothing wrong right. with him. And you saw that, uh even when they were down there, she's looking at the little baby crawling memory, and then it fades away in her hand. Right. Oh, so sad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So then we reach the climax of the story where Joy and Sadness finally make their way back to the headquarters. Throughout- and which, where Joy realizes as well. Well, I'll get to oh, that. Yeah. So throughout the story, Joy thinks sadness is negative and something to suppress, something to keep marginalized and away from the control panel, away from Riley, essentially. But at the climax of the story, Joy realizes that sadness is an essential part of Riley. She's looking at an emotion, a a joy emotion, and she rewinds the emotion to discover that the, the, 
or she rewinds the memory and discovers that at the beginning of the memory, Riley was actually sad. And by being sad, it pull by expressing sadness to other people, it pulled people into support. And then, then the memory changed from a sad one into a happy one. And so she realizes this. This is the crux of the entire movie, which I have to say, I am so proud of Pixar that they would make the entire climax of the movie that sadness should be in control of Riley. Yeah. That the whole point of the whole movie is that sadness is good. Yeah. <laughs> it was just like, ah. Uh, so because sadness is good, and, and sadness is good with grief. Sadness yeah. is good with empathy. Um, and and, she, and this this is what the the thing I was trying to say at the beginning was that I, which I didn't want to give it too much away. So this is great that we got to this point. Is that they could have made an entertaining movie with characters in the brain and just be funny and neat yeah. and oh a couple of clever things. But they they went out they they hit it so far out of the park that they made a very important point for universally yeah. for what what is something that people don't get taught they don't we don't grow up with thinking that sadness is good and and it's such an important mental health issue and, and idea right. and they make it right and they illustrated it so well right and it was totally unexpected i did not see it coming yeah. and it was not forced it nope. it made total sense like yeah. the whole thing just was like I mean the the ending, and then I started crying more. So so the other point they were making was that sadness alerts people to when we are sad, when yeah. when we need help. That's and that actually evolutionarily is accurate. You know the reason why they think people cry is because it's a very visual thing to other people. Yeah. So that and we're so social as as animals that it it pulls people close to you. Um, so joy. Decide, you know, Joy could have made it back to headquarters without sadness, but she actually saves sadness. And instead of suppressing her, Joy gives sadness the controls, lets sadness run the show. Because sadness is the only one who can remove the bad idea from, from the console of running away from home, which allows Riley to finally cry and to finally grieve. And most importantly, to reach out for support from her parents. And we see Riley finally cry and get a loving hug from her parents and support. And that's when I completely fucking lost it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so after Riley experiences this, this first loss, this first difficulty at age 11, her mind is forever changed. It's more complicated. It's more mature. The console is bigger. And then it's not, they're like... What's this button? It's puberty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that's nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, they have joint memories. There are memories that are both angry and sad. You that's see right. you see memory orbs that have... Multicolor. Multicolors. We have new islands now. Yeah. Uh, we, have, we still have family, and, a, and there was like a... I think there was a teen vampire island or something yeah it was the like the twilight yeah there's like a twilight island uh and this is pretty accurate as we develop we have more nuanced emotions which research shows when we're very young we seem to have these very categorically easily defined emotions and as we get older we tend to have much more nuanced emotions for example when we see our children get married we're both joyous and sad and we cry and it's like 
are you sad or are you happy? Well, I'm both. I'm, I'm, and I'm afraid, you know? Right. (laughs) Uh, And what a lot of object relations people, psychodynamic people would say, developmental people would say, is that we can hold on to both the good and the bad because we can see the gray of life the older we get. And and if you've ever watched uh, someone under the age of five, uh, like a three-year-old, for example, if you watch them when they're in tears, right? It's usually, I mean, I'm not talking about really traumatic stuff. I'm talking about day-to-day stuff. If you watch them, they'll let's say they bonked their knee or they didn't get their second lollipop or whatever the heck, right? They'll start crying. And in that moment, if you watch them and you don't have the context, you think some terrible tragedy has happened. Right. Five minutes later, after the tears have subsided and they're playing and they're laughing, if you watch it out of context, you're like, oh, this child never has any suffering right. in their life. Right. And they don't keep the, those, those uh, emotions don't blend into one another necessarily. Right. They are very distinct and, right. and yeah. chunky. <laughs> and when you're angry, you'll, you'll, it's typical for children to wish their parents dead. Right. So, yeah, there's, there's no nuance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, you know... I have to go to bed at 8.30. I want to, I wish you get run over by a truck. <laughs> and, and, and the children literally believe that. There's know? a new uh, meme I saw today called uh, Asshole Parent. And it's all these like, you know, they show a picture of a child crying. And it says stuff like, you know, uh, they, they don't serve chicken nuggets at this restaurant asshole parent you know like, uh, i can't use i'm on a safari trip with my daddy and i can't use my te- my ipad asshole parent this is what happens when reddit people actually have children <laughs> apparently uh it's it's gone from all video game based yes to child to, to children based. <laughs> so some good conclusions that we've already mentioned and maybe some more is that this movie is about emotional regulation and i think it teaches this to children and adults for, for that matter it 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 privileges sadness it, it tells us that sadness is a good thing and it it teaches us how to express sadness in a healthy way to express it in a way to gain support so that we can feel connected to people. And having already even shown that even the other emotions are also relevant and important. Right. It's like, Although, well, I'll get to that yeah. in a second. Um, the, it doesn't necessarily privilege happiness over sadness, uh, although one can make the, the argument that it kind of does. Um, yeah, it shows us that every emotion has, has, has value. Yeah. And, you know, it easily, like another writer could have put fear and disgust in another room. Like the, They could have been the bad guys, the, the antagonists. Yeah, right. They could have been the bad people, but they're not. They're, the, the disgust and fear right. and anger, they're, they're just like joy. They're just, yeah. they're just regular, you know, and, they're all the same. And day to day, they all actually get along fairly well. Right. Yeah. Right. Especially after the maturing process. Yeah. yeah you, oh, you, when you see the moms and the dads. Yeah. Uh, and then we, you know, we can make comments about that for sure. But but one thing that sticks out is that they get along fairly well. They seem like well adjusted in those cases. You know, yeah. Uh, it, it's a panel of scientists as opposed to you know. Well, we can get into that actually. Uh, it, that was the one thing that just kind of bugged me. That was if I was to say mm-hmm. that was one, the sexism involved in that scene when they're at the table because of the what the dad says and the mom says. Right. I mean, the the mom and the dad and their uh, emotions on mm-hmm. the inside 
is just so stereotypical. The woman is heavily involved with Riley and concerned and, and, and nagging Riley. Meanwhile, the dad is only thinking about sports. And he's, he, he's, he's sitting right across the table, and he's, he doesn't, he's completely oblivious to what's happening right in front of him in terms of his daughter and his, yeah. and his wife. And that then, was more of a sitcom moment. A, a very 70s sitcom moment, right? Yeah. And the mom looks to the dad and says, you know, you know and, then, and then the inside of the dad, they say, oh, she's looking at us with those eyes. We must have done something wrong. You know, shut I, down the sports TV shows and let's pay attention and say something. And then they totally he totally screws it up. And you know, it's the it's the it's the Simpsons family. It's the but devil's advocate to it because I hate that too. I I I I as a male feel offended that males in popular media in America are usually bumbling idiots, only concerned about. At the same time, though, why does it work? Why is it so funny? Well, because conflict is funny. But, and, but but why is it that that's and our culture teaches them uh, to be that way? So a lot of them are that way. Yeah, because it certainly seems but, but, like that but, got big laughs. But take it from me, as a person who actually treats families, it's split right down the middle. Oh, I believe it. Yeah. I, I I'm, the, I'm not like that. The inattentive parent is just as often the sure. woman as it is the man. And and you know I'm a I'm a full con- statistically significant control group of one and I'm not like that. <laughs> no, but but I believe that it's not actually representative, but for some reason, maybe it is the culture blah blah. It, that seems to get the easy laughs so often. Well, and I'll well I'll give another explanation. Culturally speaking, we like men that are like that. We don't want a man that's a nag. We don't want to. We like it when a man is yeah. sort of distracted and goofy yeah, yeah. and forgetful and not so attentive to detail. We don't like a a father that's really anal. We like a father that's easygoing and and it's funny. When don't it, listen to your mother. Yeah, Get it, let's come out here. We like it when a father is easygoing and goofy and you know and bumbly. And we really don't like it when a when a mother is like that. Like imagine if they just had it reversed and the dot the dad is talking oh, to her yeah. and then he looks to the wife like for support and she's thinking about oh. she's thinking about that sexy, you know, right. dancer from Spain or something. Oh, it would be it would be what a cold bitch. No one know? would laugh at that. Yeah. You would judge her. Yeah. So that's why we laugh because it's acceptable buffoonery. Mm. That's you know? unfortunate. Totally unfortunate. I find myself playing into that even when I'm not like that in general because I, you're right. I think the, the cultural expectation is, is one way. Right. It's almost like we want men to be that way. But let's not, talk, let's not even talk about it, man. Let's, <laughs> hey, did you watch the sports game? <laughs> uh, the movie also, it doesn't, you know, other good things. It doesn't preach hope and happiness or even individualism, which a lot, a lot of movies, and particularly movies directed towards children, preach. It, 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 she, she needs support in order to win. She needs to be sad in order to win. That's she needs true. To, she needs to openly express grief and be a bummer in order to win this story. Oh, and and the thing, the victory in question isn't she didn't win the big game. She didn't ace high school or something. She just got over a sad, very potentially damaging moment in her life. Right. They could have easily had Riley on stage and things are going wrong and she needs to right. like, or she, she's playing oh, hockey yeah. 
and she's, she's that's a great point that could have been the movie right yeah the, the, the one you expect is the big game is coming up and, and that happens all the time exactly like uh what was that playbook m- movie uh silver lining silver linings playbook yeah like i i the first half of the movie i'm like wow this is actually a pretty complicated emotional relational movie about bipolar and uh-huh. and borderline i assume that they were trying to depict borderline they never said it but it looked like it but at the end of the movie, it's all about a dance dance competition. That's true. And they, I did like that movie, but and, yeah. <laughs> and they win the dance competition. Yeah. And yeah. that's the, and then they love each other, and they and they right. they ride off into the sunset, even right. though one's bipolar and one's still right. bi- borderline. It's like <laughs> it's like I kept thinking like, so if we just did the epilogue we would see them fighting again because they're still them. Do you know what I mean? It's not like this dumb uh, dance competition fix their mental illnesses you know but anyway um also as we said earlier it was you know it's a very funny movie it's also a nail biter it's very suspenseful i I was you know like i said it's 94 minutes it's very tight and everything moves very quickly and and by the way they they also didn't except for which i feel was very funny but except for the cat and the some of the animal examples at the end (laughs) they didn't actually the cat bit was hilarious it was definitely hilarious but (laughs) But with her, they actually took, especially with her, I feel they did, the, which is great because she's the main focus. They did the best treatment of nuance with her. Because I even feel with the parents, it was a little too, like, by the book. Like, you know, yeah. okay, well, now it's all, f- they don't have any internal struggles and blah, blah. Yeah. That said, what I thought was fascinating is that uh, what I was saying earlier, how they didn't have direct control of her. In other words, they could have had it goofy where oh when they move the lever her arm lifts and then it oh. makes her slip and but they didn't do any of that yeah. there, there was a zero thing where it was like a one-to-one so instead we get to see a very believable right uh preteen reacting to things right and and the struggle feels even greater because in my opinion because you don't have that direct control right it's it's like how are they going to influence her oh god you yeah know? <laughs> i sort of thought about that that's interesting cuz if you if you took out all of the inside her head scenes mm-hmm. all you would have would just be this really mundane story about a girl who moves and has some bad experiences at school and in hockey but really normal bad experiences and then she gets upset, and she and she goes to the bus station to run away. But then she decides not to. Someone needs to do that supercut, right? They, they right. need to do that cut and sh- and put that on YouTube, right? Because it's it's yeah, right. There's none of that goofiness where yeah, where her arms are flailing yeah. and yeah, it's interesting. It, 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 so or her brain starts to get twitchy or right. something. Yeah. Like oh, what just happened to me? <laughs> right, right. She has a nightmare, just like anyone right. would have a nightmare. Uh, another thing that I wrote down while I was watching the movie on my iPhone, hopefully not bothering other people, was that the facial expressions that Pixar makes for their characters is so good. Yeah. I mean, I, when I'm watching the 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 characters interact, because what you know, the way they make these movies is they get the voice actors and they they direct the voices first. They rec- they get the voices down, and then they add the facial expressions later, which you know, may or may not have been the facial expressions that the voice actors were making. Mm-hmm. And so these animators, the, I mean, you know, we know computers well enough to know how hard it would be to code the micro, to make it look not freaky. Yep. I mean, think about facial animation 20 years ago and how it all <laughs> just looked really weird, you know? Yep. So they need to make it look 
cartoony, but not too cartoony, and human, but not yeah. too human, and funny, and they need to express a lot of thoughts and emotion and processing of emotion very quickly without it being too quick. And I was just very impressed. And I've been impressed with a lot of the Pixar movies. But this one in particular, if you look at the facial expressions on the on the people in this movie, you're just like, whoa, there's a lot... There's a lot that's that the of story being told in the yeah. people's faces. That's right. Um, it trashes the movie trashes on San Francisco and praises Minnesota, which was quite different. That's true. <laughs> uh, normally, they would totally trash on Minnesota and snow, but they really elevated snow and mm-hmm. and hockey and things that you know the left coast doesn't normally uh, elevate. You the know? leftist commies. Yeah. Uh, okay, so critique. Thanks, Obama. Yeah. So, critique. Um, some of my philosopher friends would hate this movie because it reduces the mind to a simple metaphor. And they believe that these sorts of simple metaphors actually are a political ploy to keep the status quo in place. So I'm sure that some of my philosopher mm. friends would find a way to make this movie feel very nefarious. And I just threw up a little bit in my mouth. <laughs> they, they can be very convincing, honestly. I, I've been quite convinced, and I'm sure if they were wait, here... Wait, what's the, what's the, what is the conspiracy theory? It's not conspiracy. It's more like that, for instance, one of the things that we have in our culture is it's very consumerism, right? We have, it's very consumerist. Our, our, our culture is centered yep. largely around buying things and making things. Yep. If you have a sweet car people look. Yep. If if you have extra money, the first thing you start doing is buying better stuff. Yep. And so one of the things that happens is you will hear in our language and in our art and in our movies and in our stories and the things we privilege, you'll start seeing a reflection of that. Sure. Which which also feeds back into us to make us even more consumerist, you know? And so for instance, um one of the and, and, and so another Another movement that's related to that that they will talk about is that there's a movement to see us as computers, to see us as processing of information mm-hmm. rather than having a soul, rather than being a human being. You know, we're we're just machines. You know, because we live in a in a machine culture. But before a hundred years ago, everyone was were farmers. You know, ninety nine percent of the word farmed. And, and had almost no machinery in their life. And so you lived in the soil and you lived in nature. And so you saw the world in that from that perspective. Today, almost all of us are completely divorced from nature and all we have are machines and computers. And so, As opposed to the cells that assemble pieces of material. Well, well so, so, there, so there we go. So the philosophers that I know would say, it's interesting you're using the word assemble. Which, right, <laughs> which is which is a which is a consumerism manufacturing <laughs> right. metaphor, right? And it's in our language, you know, like processing of information. We we say the brain processes information. You earlier said, well, as soon as we have a computer that can measure the brain, we will figure it out. And what what the philosophers that I know will talk about, particular kinds of of philosophers, they will say that that will completely miss the point. That our our the self and what mean what it means to be human cannot be measured by mapping the brain. Right. That just you, like we can't understand God. 
for instance. Yeah. I mean, so it's it it is the the trend. No, 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 no. That's not what they're saying. I, I know, that but might I, be what I group saying. it together with that. I, I know say, you do, but but that's not what they would say. What they like, would we say we can't understand tides. They go in, they go out. Who knows how they work? They're mysterious. Mm, let me give a, an example based on that. We can understand how tides work because we not, can not Bill O'Reilly <laughs> because. Because the moon and gravity and da-da-da, we can absolutely have a model for understanding. You're missing it. the soul of the galaxy, though. But we're missing the soul of it. What, 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 do, what do tides mean to you? Can you measure through science, so to speak, the experience of your feet in the water as the water tide begins to rise and as you smell the sea and as a, a jellyfish stings your toe? I mean... There's there's so much more to describing life than simply measuring what is convenient for our measuring devices today. But the measuring is part of the same life we're talking about. Sure. But to privilege the things we can measure over the things that we have difficulty measuring presents certain political movements. Exactly. That's my point. We shouldn't privilege the things we can't understand yet. As being special in some way. We, well, what the people that I am referring to will say is we should contemplate what this all does to us and, and what we are doing to ourselves. Mm-hmm. Because consumerism is here and because industrialism is here mm-hmm. and scientism is here, that's a word, we have to be very careful about what we do to ourselves and how we think, and we have to start to question certain things. And so when we, when we look at this movie, what is this movie doing to us is a question. And maybe this movie is reducing us to particular things that, the, that is actually resulting in an overall movement of our culture that is resulting in negative things ultimately for us is the question. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm referring to these other people because when you hear them talk, they tend to have quite firm conclusions about what is good and what is bad. Mm-hmm. And I'm not quite so sure about that. Yeah, like I could see an argument. I don't know if it's right or wrong, but I could see an argument with, uh, I don't know, a movie like uh, What About Bob, which I found very funny, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, where... Uh, the psychology or therapy gets trivialized to the point of, of comedy, right? Uh, or, or movies where, uh, I don't know right now, but like, you know that there was a period of time where there was this illusion that, that you're in that therapy session and, aha, it was the mushrooms. That's the connection, right? right? That, I could see an argument like, well, trivializing the mental complexities to those aha moments with the, 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 the shrewd guy stroking his beard in the background in the darkness. Ah, that blah, blah, blah. I could see an argument. But ironically, this kind of movie moves us into a way more subtle and nuanced and complex conversation. Sure. Let me, I'm trying to think of what someone might say. Um, they might say that this movie reduces even sadness, for instance, to merely crying and getting a hug from someone. Instead of talking about the fact that we have systematic oppression of peoples on this planet that should not only be sad, but also very angry 
about the way that they're treated and very angry about our systems and that that should be depicted in a movie. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, if that's that's a, a fine movie that can be made. Yeah, definitely. Right. Yeah. I, I, I feel like... I'm like, just saying that whenever I talk with these friends of mine, they will make very compelling evidence, very com- they, make, they will make very compelling arguments that a movie I love is in fact very evil. <laughs> so, right. so that's all I'm saying. Um, okay. Also, another critique I would have is that memory is much more complex than what is depicted in the movie. The movie, Certainly. basically what happens to her is exactly recorded and encapsulated forever in an orb and can be recalled in its exact form. Yep. And we all know that... And it's stored in one specific location in right, the, in right, the right. library. A, a discrete, non-overlapping yeah. uh, location. That's right. Uh, and and, and not correlated either. Right. There's it's no just, correlations. It's just, yeah, it's just cataloged by these long-term memory people. And one would assume also redundant because it seems like Everything about that memory is there, which means do all people's names, face recognition, all that stuff is all that redundantly stored in that memory. Right. 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 Whereas in reality, memory is very susceptible to change. In fact, as soon as it's recorded, it's being altered. And every time you recall it, we change it. Every time we recall a memory, we have to build the memory is is the metaphor that people use is that we don't we don't recall a memory we actually we actually build the memory actively from associations in the brain and therefore recreate some make something new is is really the way that memory works so therefore memory is very fluid and very amorphous and can never be replayed back perfectly and every time you recall it depending on the mood you're in when you recall it, depending on other things that have been associated with elements of that memory, will, will pop into your head. You, you, and you, know. and you, and you got to make a distinction between... Uh, because, for example, there are people that can listen to a piece and play it back as it was played, but they're not... That's not the entirety of the memory of that event. Right. It's uh, they they focused very specifically on keeping sequences of notes or numbers or phone numbers or whatever right. in place. That's different than recording the entirety of an experience. Right. Uh, so yeah, totally. Yeah. I mean, some people are particularly good at remembering certain things, yeah. but and you can certainly have all of us can certainly be very accurate at times in our memory. With, but, with simple things like what's your name? Yeah. What's your address? Right. What's your But it but if you were asked about what happened even five days ago, you have to build that from right. from a number of very imperfect, weird associations. And it's common for stuff to get thrown in there. Right. If you if you read any of the literature and, and experiments on humans regarding memory, you realize that our memory is completely effed. Draw, draw your mother's face right. from memory. <laughs> and they do these experiments. You know, they'll show someone like a car crash. Yeah. And then five minutes later, they'll have a completely screwed up <laughs> memory. You know, what color was the car? Like it was blue. 25% of the people get it right. Yeah. And how many of them are guessing, you know? And so, you know, it's... It, it, and, you know, consequently, as a result... A lot of people in the court get, you know, convicted right. wrongly. 
And it makes sense from a, like, uh, sorry, uh, philosophy friends, but from a data processing standpoint, uh, even though our brains are so fantastic and amazing, uh, we actually don't have the room in our head to store a uh, 360-degree full resolution uh, with all, you know, time lapse and everything uh, constantly, let alone, or like, like, sorry, like even... You can't even do that with a couple seconds, let alone constantly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. If your brain recorded every single data uh, bit that came in, it would max out at age like, yeah. you know, two months. Yeah. So we have to dump in order to. And we're make constantly room. dumping. Like right now, all this detail to the side, the periphery of my vision. Yeah. It's not, I don't know what's there. Right. <laughs> I just know there's shapes. There's blue, white, green, blue. But if you ask the average American based on cultural messages that have been told about memory, they, they would oft, they'll often tell you that, that they think we do record everything. Yeah. Because like, there'll be depictions in movies where someone will be hypnotized yeah. and they'll remember something exactly as it happened. And there are, there are yeah, there's philosophies, movements like the Scientologists and many others that, uh, that actually think that you can remember things in their case, even way before you were born, but whatever. <laughs> like, yeah. um, other things are, you could make the argument, I think, that some sexism was in the movie beyond what we were talking about earlier, yeah. in that for Riley, she had t- two genders mm-hmm. in her brain. For everyone else, they just had one gender. The, the, yeah. the mom had all female emotions. That's right. And the dad had all male emotions. Riley had, had both. Maybe... Maybe she's you know more bisexual or something. That was one. There's yeah. You could think that way, or you could think that over time your your personality starts consolidating to the sex that you are. So uh, another simpler solution is that for the comedy moments, because they didn't show the moms and the dads' brains a lot. Mm-hmm. For those comedy moments, it was easier for a, a room full of guys and a room full of women, right. which unfortunately does play into the stereotypes. Right. Because the women were all nice and collected, sitting at the console, talking it out very calmly, right? Yeah. The guys were like, yeah, party, whatever. Yeah. God. You know? Uh, so in Riley's mind, you had female emotions like joy, sadness, and disgust. Mm-hmm. And then you had male emotions like fear and anger. Right. Which is interesting, right? Yep. And I think it plays into that social expectation of if you had a, you know, when you have a male who's angry, that, that seems to fit, right? If anger was a girl, that would have been a different color of anger, right? If you, you know, with, with joy, if you had a super joyous male, that's a little different than when you have a very joyous female in a, in a, in a movie. And so this is a comment on our associations of gender and emotion and you know could be could be sexist you know one could say that that was a sexist yeah. thing to do but again it's much funnier to have that interplay and i don't know what yeah. do you, what do you think it is hard i i forget i'm trying to remember what they showed in the boy in the teenage boy's head when when she remember, yeah. said when she talked to him and then they show him kind of freaking out <laughs> oh yeah i'm trying to remember if they showed all boys in that case or i don't remember they were all running around like yeah. freaking out i think they were all boys yeah so it is interesting i mean again the simple answer is meaning the the actual reality answer is it works better for the movie that they did it that way right but 
if they had a philosophy behind but, but, it, that's but, less clear. But well, but let's let's analyze that. Couldn't have fear and anger been girls too? Uh, I couldn't that have been just as funny? Uh, yeah, maybe. But 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 even thinking about from the perspective of the voice talent, you would have had an. I guess if you had uh, what's her name from Spy, be anger. Uh, McCarthy, McCarthy, Melissa McCarthy, or yeah. even uh, what's the comedian that I love? Uh, blonde, Kristen Wiig. No, the latest. She's like the big sensation. Oh, Amy Schumer. Amy Schumer or something. I don't know, but yeah. I, I guess. But Louis Black is great. Yeah, but so. But the thing is, is like you easily. I I believe they easily could have made because you know. No, I, I guess what I'm asking is, this. hey, let's cast anger in your head right now when you think, uh, who can we get would be awesome at anger. Is it a female actress? There's plenty of female actresses. That would be that... awesome at anger. Yeah, I mean... I, oh, I... you know who Wanda Sykes? Yeah, Wanda Sykes. Well, yeah. that would have been racist. Why? <laughs> no, no, no. She's awesome. She, she's she always angry. She is. Yeah. She, yeah. In Curb Your Enthusiasm. I mean, she's... Oh, ah, yeah. What the hell is going on here? You yeah, know, like, yeah, she'd yeah. be awesome. Right. Yeah, but... And, well, okay, and Bill, but you're right. Bill... Someone could claim, oh, it's the angry black woman. Right. Sure, here we go. But Bill Hader... His depiction of fear wasn't that great. Do you know no, what I mean? No, that's true. Like, it, they they that's could have true. found a girl to do that. In fact, someone could have argued, again, sexually or uh, sexistly, that, oh, I see fear as a woman, you know. Well, if they were all girls, afraid, if they were all girls, then right. da, da. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I wonder if it had to do with them just thinking we need variability or something. But anyway. I, I, you, you might be right. I just feel like Louis Black was awesome. Yeah. So, like, casting better than him might have been really hard. But um, I mean, I feel like I feel like Lewis Black was great, but it wasn't su- super Lewis Blacky, if you know what I mean. Like, there's a Lewis Black that he seemed very toned down, actually. For I guess movie. so. But you know, when he too. gets really angry, he gets yeah. he gets like, really, and he's known for his anger. Right. So it's also kind of a marketing thing. Yeah. Yeah. But oh, know. and I wonder if people like the adults that watch it, if when they hear his voice, they automatically associate it with right. it. You're right about Bill Hader, though. There's not a clear reason, no. other than he's a comedian that's in the in the movies lately and stuff like that. Right. Uh, and the fear character wasn't he, he that the fear character was probably the least focused on of the five emotions. Now, what's funny is I actually liked, which is too bad they didn't continue that theme. I liked that there were more than male more you know that there were mixed genders in her brain mm. I, I thought that was neat but yeah. it's too bad that that theme was not carried through right so there was a fresh air interview with the director and i learned a lot about the movie and the director and we find out that again the director's family moved from uh minnesota to denmark we find out that the director's family when he was a child they uh-huh. moved from minnesota just like in the movie, but they moved, They didn't move to San Francisco. They moved to Denmark Wow! when he was a child, and he experienced what Denmark was like. He felt completely out of place, and just like in the movie where he goes to a new school and doesn't fit in, well, he went to a, a Danish school and couldn't, <laughs> couldn't even speak the language. Oh, wow. And he started drawing cartoons to cope. Oh, wow. And so he felt, and he said he felt very sad, and he mm-hmm. said he, he had a lot of melancholy during this time. So it's very similar to this story. Also, another thing I learned was they, they originally paired joy with fear. So originally it was going to be joy and fear instead of joy and sadness, because originally fear was going to be the thing yeah. that, that brought Riley down, so to speak, and that the road trip was going to be joy and fear. But they had trouble with the ending. 
So after three years of working on it, by the way, they've been working on this movie for something like six, seven, eight years or something. Yeah, they were saying they started right after uh, Wally, was it, or Up? No, right after Up. They started right after Up. But I think they've been working on the story even longer or oh, something. Really? But that's just, to me, just proves to you just what makes Pixar work. Yeah. Is they, they start with the story and they work it and yeah. they work it and they work it. Whereas so many other movies today, they, the story is like, yeah, just get the script, whatever. It's all special effects and, yeah. and the stars and this kind of thing. And so Pixar, it's all about the story. I mean, the fact that today most people can say the best stories are in cartoons. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Like there's something weird about that. Yeah. But so after three years of working on it, working on the story, they, they, were, they kept trying to figure out what's the moral of the story. And they, kept, and they kept shopping it and showing it to people. And the director said that the whole thing fell apart and like there was no good moral. And it, they, it was funny, but there wasn't a good ending. And he started thinking, man, I should just quit. I'm no good at this. Right. And then he started thinking, wow, I'm feeling really down right now. I'm feeling really sad. Isn't that interesting? I'm not afraid of, right. of failure. I'm just, right. I'm, I'm like grieving the fact that this movie is not working right, you know? And it hit him that sadness is, is a very important emotion and that relationships are very important. So when that occurred to him, he, he built the whole movie around how emotions can work together and how sadness can can drive relationships to be repaired and this sort of thing. And so I thought that was interesting. That is very interesting because from the outside looking in, it seems so obvious in retrospect because like, but I, I see how they got to the fear part. Of course, like you can imagine them talking it through and being like, so she moves. Well, that's gotta be scary. Oh, certainly. Right. Oh, well, what if fear is like, I t- totally see it. Right. Yeah. But, but not having that thought you think, well, yeah, because don't we normally think of happiness and sadness as kind of polar opposites? Right. So you would think it makes so much sense. But you would imagine <laughs> them talking, and this is yeah. just imagining, of like, well, how do we depict f- sadness? Yeah. Fear is so much easier to depict, yeah. and it's so much more comically yeah. funny. Sad is going to be boring. Yeah, sadness isn't funny. Yeah. So I could see them doing that. but And, man, they, and then they might have even preempted a wrong conclusion, like... Plus, what are you going to say, that you should be sad? Right. Right? Right. <laughs> well, right. yeah, you should. Right. So what's the final verdict, Berto? Hated it. <laughs> uh, no, I, I, as I said, I loved it. I think it actually made me think about my own life a little bit. Yeah? How yeah, so? because, well, so it's interesting. Uh, I, I've mentioned this in the podcast before. When I first started going to therapy, do you remember this? My, my therapist, one of the first things she asked me was, because uh, I was retelling my life and just kind of giving her my biography and stuff. And she said, so let me ask you, if you, if you were to describe your experiences in one word, what, what would it be? And I don't know if that's a standard question for her or whatever, but I thought it was interesting. And I almost without thinking said, happiness. That's what I said. I said, happy, happiness. And she's like, oh, interesting. And then and as I was thinking about it, I'm like, yeah, because I looking back, I was just, oh, there's that park time and oh my gosh. That barbecue we had with the whole family. Oh, and those Christmases. And it's all so these happy, happy memories. In, in your brain, joy had 
had, colored all the no had oh, had kept sadness in the circle of sadness. That's right. That's right. Yes. Um, through therapy and through the years, and then thinking about it from this movie, I'm like, but it is true. It's like all of those memories are surrounded and imbued and supported by sadness, because like, you know, I start. Why was everyone in the family so nice to me, and why did they? come over and, and visit so often and why were they always so attentive to me well i had been so sad from the loss and the grieving and like so in a way it's like yeah that's true they were reacting to the needs of this little one not because i started if being joyous of, I, I went through this period which i don't fully remember because i was like four and five but where i cried a lot and i was very moody and i was very um so that was interesting i thought man that's that's the, probably why we all cried in the movie is because we can relate to that truth, you know? Yeah. I think it's an important movie. I think it'll go down as a, I don't know how to say it, kind of a, a turning point. Well, not a turning point. I mean, maybe it'll be a turning point, but I think it'll go down as a important milestone in right. in filmmaking because... It it is so unique in that it it is Pixar at its best. It's it's a good movie. That's right. And it has this very unique message that they drive home so well and it feels very unique. And so I don't know, maybe I will bump it up to a nine for that reason. I think yeah. that's the verdict. I'm gonna bump it up to a nine. Because I had that's great, because I hadn't even considered what you pointed out, which is that it's not just the message about hey, sadness is important, which is already that alone like is a trump card. But you pointed out that it's uh that you need other people, you, like yeah. you need help. And also uh so it was like it's not just an individualistic. And also it wasn't uh, hope and winning. Right. Hope and winning. Right. Every child movie and 99% of, of adult movies. Particularly, hope and winning. <laughs> particularly American movies. Totally. It's all about having hope. Yeah. It's all about not being sad. Not, not, letting, you, right. you get, not letting your sadness get the best of you. That's right. Pick yourself up and you can do it and, 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 and win, yeah. win the game. That's right. And now the, the cynical... Folk. In fact, I already saw this argument. We'll say, no, well, then you're wrong because they actually just did the same usual thing, which is they, they uh, in fact, one of the slight criticisms, although this person really loved the movie, but they were still criticizing. They said, well, uh, they took an amazing idea, but then they still turned it into a, a buddy journey or whatever. I was like, nah, that's, that's, too, that's too simplistic. In, right. in the end, like the, the thing that happens seems trivial. But it's so important in her development. Right. And it's – like you said, if you cut the movie of just the scenes with her in reality and her parents, yeah. it's a very short movie. Yeah. And you kind of are left wondering, whoa, what, wow, that's touching. But, man, what happened? Right. And then when you see the context, you're like, wow. You know? Right. Right. Anyways. Yeah. Yeah. Arguments like that really bother me. It's like, so what do you expect <laughs> that – they would just be a, that the a Pixar movie for children would just be really sad or something like or or, or, or that sad, would be yeah. very realistic you know yeah like the whole time they could have been in the brain just having conversations which yeah. is a cool dinner with Andre thing or <laughs> right like well they just reduced it to this like action oriented you know road trip movie it's like come on it's amazing that they could take that topic 
and still make it right. an action-oriented movie. Yeah, and every stop along the way of their road trip yeah. had scientific yeah. relevance. Like, they again, they could have done anything. They could have been like, oh, we're in the land of the weird neurons. I mean, they, they could have done anything, but they decided to have a, a, a kind of suspenseful scene yep. in which they become abstracted. That's right. <laughs> the chamber of, a, of abstraction, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then they have another where they're in your subconscious and another when you're in the memory dump and then yeah. another one when you're in the train of thought and then another one when uh, they bump into a new thing that was being created, which was the, the, the boy who loves her or something. Oh, yeah, they were creating these little ideal... Uh, teenage crush. Yeah. <laughs> I would die for her. <laughs> I would do anything for her. You would? <laughs> oh, I got a plan. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that was kind of one hole in the plot because I was like, how do they know... How does she know that this is going to work mechanically? Because she she gets all of them to stand on top of each other's shoulders. Yeah, the physics was a little suspect. Well, not the physics, but you know how would Joy? There was no premise. She it'd be one thing if she had seen it work with a different thing. And go, oh, I I have an idea now. If I get you know, yeah. but it was like you know, I was like, what is she going to do with all these boys in this bag? You know what I mean? Like, and then, and then all of a sudden she just like dumps it and she goes flying into the air. I was just like, well, that doesn't seem, well, they, she, they did show that that bag could apparently hold, right. Uh, in, infinite. But when she dumped it over, they're all on each other's shoulders. Sure. Doesn't sure. make any sense. And they're all like pre holding right. each other right. up. Like, but it just shows that hope. Is important. <laughs> <laughs> well, that does it for another episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us, and please take care of yourself. If you want to, you can go to our website and donate, or you can like us on Facebook and participate in our Tuesday Tougher Bluff games. We need to be sad so that they will donate. I'm so sad. Oh. Won't you support us? Please. We're... Uh, we're <laughs> for pennies a day. You could support. <laughs> <laughs> we we are like children grieving the loss of our neighborhood and our hockey team. That's right. And you can be the parents of of hugging and of donation. Every day, a podcaster goes hungry. <laughs> <laughs> and if you don't donate, my my anger part of me will bust out my swear word and, That's right. and, and use it on you. <laughs>